often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Hey friends, welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Great to be with you today and excited about this interview today. I know it's I know it's gonna sound daunting when I say it, but we're gonna talk about spiritual abuse. We're gonna talk about when family hurts. We're gonna talk some about cults, all sorts of like <laughs> daunting subjects. But the person that we're gonna talk about these subjects with is just so lovely and brings so much light into this world. So I'm so excited to have this conversation and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rebecca Drumsta. Well, Rebecca, I'm so excited to have you on the show. The listeners don't know this, but this was a this was a challenge to get this interview <laughs> scheduled. I don't know it why was. it was so difficult, but I just believe that that means like this is going to be the greatest interview ever because we had to work so hard at it. There you go. You got it. So I, uh, before we get going, why don't you just introduce, so I don't have to introduce you. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell everybody listening anything you want about yourself, who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Oh, goodness. That's a loaded question. Um, Well, my name is Rebecca Drumsta, as you said. First and foremost, I'm a wife and a mommy. My family always comes first. But after that, um, the work that I do, I'm a director of nonprofit called NPE Friends Fellowship. Then I also, at RebeccaDrumsta.com, I'm a writer, consultant, coach, and advocate for those who've experienced spiritual abuse and religious trauma. And that is where my story really comes in and that is, um, means a lot to me. And so I'm in that space because of my own lived experiences, the things that I've watched with people that I love, people that are around me. And um, I was just recently welcomed onto the board of another nonprofit that's called the Vashti and that initiative Um, where they're supporting those who are escaping and coming out of religious abusive situations. When we talk about religious abuse, spiritual abuse, things like that, Mm -hmm. I think, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of people hear that and they think, oh no, that's that really, really bad cultish thing that happened to that person, but not to me. What I'm noticing, Mm -hmm. uh, the more I hear about it, and even I think in my own story a little bit, this idea of spiritual abuse, religious abuse, things like that, it's much more prevalent than I think we've, a lot of us have, have understood to this point. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of an understanding when you talk about spiritual abuse, what are some of the, you know, maybe large picture things that you're speaking of here? Because there might be somebody listening today who's maybe thinks they they've went through some abuse, uh, regarding their spirituality, religion, church, whatever, but maybe isn't quite sure. So maybe you can give a little bit of clarity to what we're talking about. Yeah. Often we need to start with definitions. How are we defining a term? What does that word mean to you or in this context? And so um, a quick idea would be spiritual abuse is psychological or emotional manipulation or coercion through the use of spirituality. 
which undermines or eliminates a person's autonomous spiritual empowerment and focuses on external spiritual performance. That's a kind of a wordy definition there, but it's essentially when someone uses their power, their authority to coerce or manipulate or guilt or shame you um, by using a spiritual or biblical um, framework. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands and you're not submissive. Look in the Bible, look what it's saying to you. You need to submit to me or to your husband or to whoever it is who's this authority. And so they use these spiritual language or this Christianese or biblical wording to control and give you no autonomy, no freedom of choice within your own faith or without your own spiritual practice. And so spiritual abuse is something that it can be at a system level. It can be an entire organization, a church, a denomination, a yoga studio. It can be any form of um, religious or spiritual practice. It can start from, again, that, that system level, that organizational level, but it goes down from there down to very individual in homes. Um, or it might be your boss, it might be your father or your spouse who can be spiritually abusive to you. Abuse is a misuse or a mishandling of a thing that can cause distress or harm. And so um, there's also that pattern of control, control somehow or getting your way um, with someone um, is always involved when, when there is abuse. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense about abuse, spiritual abuse. Yeah, absolutely. You seem to be like a bubbly, full of life human being. <laughs> and then, then like your whole, you know, your whole passion involves helping people overcome spiritual abuse. So why is this so important to you specifically? Because of my own experiences, uh, the things that I've lived through, the abuses that I have suffered, and watching the people I care about, the people I love, the kids I grew up with, also live through this. And then now I am, like I said, I'm a mom and I want to create a safe place for my daughter. I want to say this was not okay in church. This was not okay in these religious organizations, because I believe that we all have a right. I think it's a basic human right to have a safe religious experience. And so religion in and of itself isn't the problem. Holding on to spiritual beliefs is not the problem. But it's, it's again, it's that manipulation, that control that becomes the abuse that we have to look a certain way, act a certain way, behave this certain way. And these are absolute truths. So to give you some background into my story, um, a couple of my first memories, um, I'm, both of them, were, I was about five years old. And my family was part of a church and there was this new family that had come in. They had, they were a large family and the father had taken them out of a Mormon sect in Mexico. They'd become Christian and they joined our, our church. My family was very close to them. And one day the father of this family was murdered in an atonement killing because he would not take the family, at least the children, back um, and leave them with this sect that greatly affected my, my entire family and my, my childhood. 
that around that same time is when my, my parents recognized that the church we were in had become a cult in and of itself. The pastor would literally divide the congregation on a regular basis saying, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you support me as pastor, if you support me in these ideas, you are welcome to stay. If not right now, you must leave this room and no one is to ever speak to you again. You are shunned. You are kicked out forever. This actually divided my own personal family because of this. So as my parents, they chose to leave that culture, leave that church, they jumped right on into this new church that was a healthier, better, safer place, but it was an independent fundamental Baptist church that was very well connected to Jack Kyle's and um, all of that that has happened. If you Google it, you can find out all about Jack Kyle's and um, there's the Preacher Boys podcast. He's been revealing a whole lot of the abuses and cover-ups and cult behaviors and activities within IFB, Independent Fundamental Baptist Churches. And so from there, um, I'm about seven years old and my parents, they had already been homeschooling us. Then they chose to join another program, a homeschool organization called IBLP, um, which was run by a man called Bill Gothard. That's Institute and Basic Life Principles. It used to be Youth Conflicts. They had an ATI program for homeschoolers, Advanced Training Institute. And this was a place where we could come for education, opportunities, training. We could volunteer. We could learn. So the rest of my life until I got married was involved in the IFB denomination and the homeschool cult of IBLP. And so this is why I've seen firsthand, I've experienced firsthand what it looks like when starting at five years old, you don't believe like us anymore. You won't bring us back those kids. So we're going to kill you as an atonement. We're going to take your life since you took their lives. We're shunning. We don't talk to family members because, oh, they didn't side with the pastor. So I've watched firsthand what happens in churches and congregations and families when spiritual abuse is present, when that dogma of I have to be absolutely right, choosing this principle overvaluing the person and the relationship instead of being right or holding a right belief. I've watched it firsthand affect my life, my family's lives. And then I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I don't want the trickle down to keep going, that ripple effect. I don't want it to affect my child and my husband and my family. And so that's why I'm passionate about it because I've lived it. I've watched it in other people's lives. And that's kind of what drew me into this line of work was I kept hearing story after story, especially from the girls that I grew up with. And it just wasn't okay. And there were not a lot of resources at the time. There were, I would Google and I'm questioning my faith. Well, you're just going to have pray about it. You know, you have a lack of trust in God, the spiritual bypassing, you know, overlooking depression or or anxiety and just giving all these spiritual answers. And so I decided once I had found a level of healing myself, I began to just research for myself and learn for myself and start helping the people that were right around me as best I could. And again, with the intention of helping create a safe space for my child and other kids 
growing up behind me. Thanks for sharing that. That's beautiful and vulnerable. And I, I appreciate you being willing to share that part of your story. You know, no, no person, especially no young person should ever have to go through what you went through in the name of God, right? In the name of religion. It's it's crazy. There are tons of questions I want to ask, but before we go forward, I do want to make sure like that we, we identify any terms that we need to define. So you talk about cults when I was, I grew up Catholic, Mm -hmm. when I grew up Catholic, never heard that term, unless there was some crazy news story happening on the West coast somewhere, something nuts like that. Then when I got into the evangelical space, it seemed as if that word was used so flippantly, it was used about the religion I grew up in Catholicism Mm -hmm. is used around. Oh yeah. Those darn Catholics. Oh, the worst, the worst (laughs) (laughs) is used around, you know, Mormon, Mormonism, Jehovah witness, all sorts of other types of religion. Religions. And mm-hmm. so for some of us who were in that space where everything was called a cult, except for this very specific thing that we except believed, for us. Yes, <laughs> except for evangelical exactly. Christianity, can you just give me, because you've got experience with this, mm. when you talk about a cult, what are you talking about? Well, initially you, you, you think of, you know, David Koresh, or you think of, you know, there's a bunch of different shows about cults. So we, we all go into something extreme. Like you said, that's what we see it as extreme. But um, one of the leading cult experts in the United States is Steve Hassan. And he has developed what he called the bite model of authoritarian control. And so that is one of the best places to start to see is this organization, is this church, is this group a healthy place or might this have some cult-like tendencies? And so the bite model is behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. And again, if you look up authoritarian structures, authoritarian parenting. And so the bite model, behavior control, are there absolute like, do's and don'ts on how you can behave? You know, for women, that could include how we were dressing. We had to wear skirts and um, there's certain behaviors. You can't be rambunctious and you have to be ladylike at all times. And there's all these rules that control your behavior. Um, Information control, this is a very big one um, for religious spaces. Are there certain things? Well, you're not allowed to read that book from that pastor because he's he's charismatic. Or no, that is a Catholic resource, so you can't read that. That'll lead you wrong. Um, so they control the information that you are allowed to have. This might mean even social media, the types of music you can listen to, the books you read, the movies you watch, or if you can watch movies. Anywhere that you would consider any form of information, whether it's something you read, you listen to, you watch, that is controlled. Again, that can start on an organizational level, but then it also comes down to at home um, where parents or whoever is in charge of the household can dictate where you are allowed to get information. So we did behavior, information, thought, and emotion control. An example I like to give on this one is there's two different ones. One, imagine a little five-year-old boy um, who's really, really mad at mommy right now. And so on the inside, in his brain, he thinks, I don't like my mom. Well, when you have been conditioned with this emotion control, he can't even have that feeling of, I don't like my mom. Because that is sinful. That opens the door up to Satan, um, to all these new strongholds, these things that Satan can now use in your life. So he has to, number one, 
ask God's forgiveness. And number two, ask his mother's forgiveness for this thought that he had for this emotion or, or maybe the emotion of anger that, that came with it. There's nothing wrong with the emotion of anger, but growing up in an environment that has cult-like tendencies an emotion of anger that didn't follow through with angry, horrible words or violence, like hitting your sister, just being, feeling angry or having those thoughts of anger are wrong. I was taught the little poem from Martin Luther, feelings come, feelings go, feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. None else is worth believing. So any emotion that I would feel that must have come from my wicked heart. Um, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so your thoughts, your emotions, your behavior, your everything has these very strict guidelines, very strict do's and don'ts. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. There's more nots than shells. But that's a really good place to start is with that bite model of authoritarian control, looking how many aspects of your life have to follow these rules, have to follow the guidelines, have to fit the system, have to match the culture of the, of the place. I'm just thinking about my own journey. And as you share things, I think you said it best, cult-like tendencies. I don't think I've ever been, you know, even based on what you're talking about, I wouldn't identify, I think, any of my experiences as, as being a part of a cult Although there was one that I would say was, was super close for sure. But the cult-like tendencies, I think, you know, I think that's just as important to consider because, you know, if we're a part of something that has cult-like tendencies, you know, Mm -hmm. is that really a place that we want to be? Is that really a place where we feel like we can grow and flourish and connect with God? And I know, you know, that, that sounds horrible to me. I would, I would want to get as far away from as much of that as possible. Here's the space that I'm concerned about. We're looking back and we can always look back and say, well, Mm -hmm. that was that, that was cult-like, that was, you know, religious abuse. And I think it's really important to do that because, you know, your work and helping people heal Mm -hmm. is vital for people to move forward. So I'm hundred percent behind and on board and in support of all that work that you're doing. My fear is that if we don't correct kind of these systems, if we don't correct the way that we think in the West around structure, around religion, around authority, to me, it seems like it's not going to matter too much about the details of what we believe. Mm. We're going to have this tendency to, and I even see it in progressive Christianity. We're already seeing this tendency to bow our knee to the progressive thought leaders of today and listen to what they have to say as like the next truth or whatever. And I know that's a little bit over-exaggerated, but my biggest fear is that you know, history repeats itself and we may have different theologies, but we have this, the same control structures in place. So what we're believing only matters so much if we're still feeling like we're oppressed underneath religious authority. And so what is it, as we think about like taking, as we think about our kids, Rebecca, as we think about taking steps forward to make a better, more humane spiritual landscape to live in and connect with God in, like, what do we need to be thinking about to avoid some of these things that we've seen in, in our own recent past, but certainly throughout history? You've got great points. And I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I've watched, especially those coming out of strong fundamentalist backgrounds, they feel like they've gotten to this level of healing 
such as I am now more progressive or I'm now more liberal in my politics or, you know, but there's two things. One is that pendulum swing, which is human nature to go from one extreme to another. Another example I give is a family I knew where the wives wore head coverings and they couldn't show their collarbones and long sleeves and long dresses. And within a matter of weeks, they were all at the beach wearing bikinis. That's an, that's a quick from one extreme to the other in a very short period of time. That's a pendulum swing. So people do the pendulum swing, but then they also get to this point of I've healed, I've progressed, I've changed, but they actually didn't leave their legalism or fundamentalism behind. They brought it with them into this new environment. And fundamentalism, there's the two core elements of that would be fear. Everything is rooted in fear. Fear of what might happen, fear of what could happen, fear of what is going to happen, fear of what happens if I don't believe the right thing. There's that fear and, and, and the dogma of this is what is right. This is absolute truth. So see, I've processed, I've grown, I've changed what I believe now. That's what's right. This is what is real. Or they bring that legalism and that, that judgment with them into those other spaces, which then you can't leave or question or disagree or any of that because you brought all those same things that you thought you were escaping from. You brought that into your new space. And so you brought up the celebrityism of worshiping whoever these new leaders are. You know, I don't know, like, how do we make Christianity or religion safe for our kids? It's, it's one of those questions. I think that's what our generation or this era in Christianity and the church is trying to decide. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we're in this time of figuring that out. I don't have all the answers either, but I do think the ability to ask questions, the uh, ability to stay humble, I think that even the structure within which we mm -hmm. operate, you know, is important as well. There's days when, when I, I look at this, I go, all right, the church and Christianity in America is diseased. If this was a forest, we'd have a control burn. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's some days when I'm like, I don't see another way of rebuilding a healthy spiritual and religious community space without first burning it down figuratively and i you know i don't know how else to do it and then there's other days when i feel like there's so much hope i you know i've got a couple pastor friends who are doing a great job and there's more right. women stepping into this space so i kind of go back and forth on it all just needs to be like done away with and then start over and yeah, then I, between, oh, I think we all have those feelings. I'm really encouraged, Rebecca, and, and you alluded to it already. I, I, I like you, I, I've said it many a times of like, maybe we just have to burn this down and start all over. But, you know, the one thing that I'm encouraged by is we're starting to see more voices being allowed in the room, be allowed in the decision-making, whether that's women, whether that's mm -hmm. um, people of color, whether that's young people, children, teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm encouraged by that. And I'm hopeful that as we allow more voices in the room, we'll be able to come up with better, more cooperative solutions to some of these, these historic and ongoing problems that we have. Now, I want to take this one step further, and I don't want to miss this, is that when we talk about church spirituality, like that's a lot, right? Hurt from that is deep. It's hard to deal with, but 
as if you're glutton for punishment or something like you take this a step further and your book is about when hurt comes within the concept of a family. So church spirituality, a lot of times we refer to that as a family so we can relate on some level, but your book is directly dealing with when there's hurts within the concept of the family structure, which you and I know as parents and as, you know, we all know as parts of our own, you know, families, families, wonderful, but family's hard. And then when there's hurt that's infused within the family, sometimes that feels irreparable. And so what is it that, uh, and, and this is 30 days to finding healing and clarity. And so I love that this is tangible. You can grab onto it and you can move through it in a month and feel like you can take that step forward. And so tell us a little bit about this book and a little bit about the inspiration and, and more importantly, your hope for the reader. Yeah. A lot of authors say this, and now I understand why, because it's true. I wrote the book I needed, but I couldn't find. There was a season in my life when there was some very deep hurt, there were some very deep wounds. And I felt like because of the situation, there needed to be some answers and decisions made pretty quickly. And therapy is amazing, but it takes time. And so when there's certain situations when your emotions are so high or th there's, there's higher stakes because of whatever's going on, you sometimes need to have those answers quickly, or you need to uh, calm yourself down enough so that you can think rationally so that you don't have a knee jerk reaction to a situation. And this might be a fight with a sibling. This might be abuse that's happening. It might be a misunderstanding there's many different things that can happen. And so for starters, I wrote the book that I needed. I needed to figure out what am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? What do I need? What is going on? Why is this bothering me? Is the situation okay? I think it's a really big deal, but am I right? Am I wrong? Is my gut telling me what my gut is telling me? Is that right? I think it is. And so I structured the book in for a 30 days. Uh, there's different topics for each day. There's a quote, something that I've written. There's a physical challenge. I want you to do this today, whether it's writing something or going somewhere. And then there's the self-coaching questions. Like if you and I were in a coaching session together, these are the line types of questions that I would ask you, but you get to sit down and ask them of yourself and you get to really dive deeper in and find some of that healing that you're looking for and that clarity. And so I wrote the book with two audiences. Yes, those with a background where their families, there's been spiritual abuse and there's religious trauma, but then also the nonprofit work I do with NPE Friends Fellowship. It's for those who've made an at-home DNA discovery that one or both of their parents is not actually their biological parents. And so this common thread was family trauma, family hurt. And so it was an extension of my own journey, but also I was hoping that this book would be able to support people who are just experiencing this family trauma. It may be divorce, it may be a loss of a child through miscarriage or death or whatever it might be. So it's a pretty broad audience of people, but again, it all comes back to that hurt from the family, that trauma, or these great deep wounds and concerns that we have. 
if you're a person that's going through that, I mean, we all have on some level, but you're going through it right now. I encourage you to pick up the book today. And then beautiful thing about it is you can keep this going because then Rebecca, you started a podcast that's called when family hurts. So you can listen to that to, to continue the dialogue. And then of course you can work with Rebecca, um, directly as well as a way to overcome some of the, the trauma and the hurts that you're dealing with. So Rebecca, thank you so much. Thank you for all your wisdom. I, I, I little birdie told me there's another book coming. I'm excited about that as well. Hey, hey. Thanks for taking the time on, uh, on this episode. And thanks for all the work that you do in this world where life is challenging and difficult in your scope, in your place where you work, in your space where you work, which is riddled with hardship. Where is it that you're seeing hope in our world today? I like that question. My husband and I talk about this a lot because you turn on the news and everything is doom, 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 you know, echoing. It's everything is scary and hard and there's turmoil and there's division. And, you know, families are dividing over vaccines and families are dividing over politics and, you know, marriages are falling apart and the world is at war and everything is awful. But I, there's this undercurrent of and and i i get these little sparkles sometimes of this, this hope that's still there that there's people there's there's people like you and me there's some people just younger than us um you know it's the hand up hand down i still have those people that i reach out to for help and i'm turning around and helping somebody that's coming behind me and i see these little sparkles or glimmers of hope that there's this wave is coming that all of this has to be shaken out, whether it's through the Me Too movement, BLM, uh, deconstruction, all of these important topics that are being brought to the surface. It has to happen. It has to be, all the ugly has to be brought to light. All of the abuse, all of the harm, all of the wrong has to be shown. And yes, we can pick it apart and say, that went too far or that got a little bit extreme, whatever it is. And again, human nature, pendulum swing, but it has to happen so that that good can come so that there can be progress and strength and healing and growth and change and, and bring back some of that joy that we have of, of being together and being with each other and the smiles on our kids' faces and, and their future. And so while it does seem scary, a lot of days, and don't get me wrong, there are some days when I'm like, okay, this is not a good world. This is not a good place. But then those glimmers and sparkles show up again, and I get excited that this is going to be a better place for my daughter, that there is that there are good people out there who want to do what's right. They don't want to cause harm. They want to bring healing and they want to create safe spaces. So I do believe that there's sparkles of hope that exist. We just have to catch them at the glints out of the corner of our eye and not get distracted by all the darkness that's around us. As we bring this home today, please do not get involved with any cults. And if you are involved with a cult, please get out of it. Uh, sometimes all you can do is giggle because this is so crazy. But seriously, in all seriousness, we always have to be evaluating what it is that we're a part of. But then having this realization, right? We all have 
dealt with a fair amount of hurt in our lives. If you've lived any number of years on this earth, there's some hurt that has stacked up against you. And for some, that has been spiritual abuse and spiritual hurt. And for others, that uh, hurt has come from the context of our very own families. And that's hard. And we don't have to act like it's not. Sometimes we rock around this world as if our hurts aren't as harsh as they really are. And I think maybe today with this conversation with Rebecca, we can all just... We can all just lower our shoulders and say, hey, we've been through some things and all of us need help getting through those things that we've been through. So make sure you reach out, get the help that you need, whether that's through Rebecca, whether that's through a trusted friend or a counselor, don't try to do this alone. It's not possible. I don't believe it's possible to navigate through extreme hurts and trauma without the help of others. Special thanks to Rebecca Drumsta for joining the conversation today. You can find her at her website, which is RebeccaDrumsta.com. I'm going to spell it because it's a little bit unique. That's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-D-R-U-M-S-T-A, RebeccaDrumsta.com. Of course, you can find her on social media as well, and be sure to check out her podcast. You can support this show by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Just look up Matt Kinzera. And until next time, again, don't get involved in any cults, and let's keep chasing goodness together.